Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at Fourth Universalist Society. Thank you for joining us. What follows is a video from our service on March 28th, 2021. During this service, we reflected on mission. We're looking at revising our mission statement as a congregation, and it was a time for us to just think about it in community. In this video, you will hear our reading as well as the reflection. Then afterwards, I hope that you stick around for a discussion featuring myself and Colin Wolf, our Assistant Director of Religious Education. We're going to talk a little bit about what our journeys with Forth have been and about what Forth means to us. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week. This is posted on our websites, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram when it cooperates, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. We post these weekly, and we appreciate it if you check out old videos and find some beautiful uh, old content. We also post lots of educational content uh, weekly, bi-weekly uh, on our podcast and social media and YouTube sites. If you like what you see, we hope that you will give us a positive review. The likes, the subscribes, the comments, the shares, these all help to spread Fourth Universalist media further. We thank you again for watching. We turn now to our reading. Well, this morning's reading is adapted from the Berry Street Lecture delivered by Reverend Sean Dennison. It speaks to the sacred and holy work of mission and how we are all called to think and feel and dream big about what our purpose together is. May we be claimed by a mission impossible. May we feed the hungry by gathering for spiritual sustenance building relationships that break through isolation and truly loving our neighbors. May we be the people who show up in times of need, not to lead or plan, but to do what must be done to build heaven here on earth. May we be so audacious that we set aside our caution and fear and move boldly into the future committed to making amends when we fail and trying again. May we learn new kinds of courage, new ways of hospitality, new dreams of a world made just. May we be claimed by a mission impossible, one so big it startles and scares us. And may we work together to bring to fruition. So I am excited to get to deliver the reflection. It is actually the reflection that Reverend Schuyler wrote. So I've had to do a little quick editing this morning because there were quite a few personal stories that he was sharing. So I had to change some things around so it made a little bit more sense, but I am really excited to get to share this message with you all. 
Schuyler's very first congregation was in South Florida, the land of palm trees, beaches, humidity, and hurricanes. A little bit different from the rainy New York City that we have right now. They were a new congregation. They were started only 10 years before he had arrived. And they had actually been part of the church plant program, fully funded from the start with all the bells and whistles of everything a congregation should have and could want. One of those things was a mission statement. Theirs was almost a tagline. It was simple, more hope, more love, and more joy. Schuyler said that he had never encountered a church since that has embraced its mission statement more than this Florida congregation did. Everyone there knew it. It was easy to remember. No memorizing was needed. It was nice and simple and straight to the point. But it also made people feel warm and good. And they used it everywhere in the service, but also even on t-shirts, tote bags, and other merchandise. Before his time there, they even printed more love on the outside of condom wrappers, which they passed out on the beach to encourage safe sex and invite people to their church. Despite it being everywhere in the congregation, not everyone loved it. They were UUs after all, disagreement will happen. Some lamented it and did not, that it did not have anything to say about social justice within it. Others then responded that justice was covered under that hope and love but not all of them were convinced. Like Florida itself, the mission of more hope, more love, and more joy was all about the good stuff. Never-ending sun, Christmas on the beach, paradise, and escapism. The image covered up the truth. Paradise was built on a swamp, and warm tropical breezes could just as easily become hurricanes. Still, that is the way with mission statements. They reflect the communities they serve. They're human creations, representative of a time and place. They're not creeds, not sacred texts or scriptures. They express the values, the priorities, and the identity of the congregation, both intentionally and accidentally. The UUA, our denomination, defines a mission as a concise statement of the congregation's core purpose. It asks us to consider what does the congregation want to be known for or known as within the wider world? What does the congregation want to mean to the community as a whole? Where Schuyler's congregation in Florida succeeded so well was in unifying the congregation around that identity. Everyone knew what it was, members knew, Visitors knew pretty much immediately, and it stuck with them. More hope, more love, and more joy. Of course, here at Fourth Universalist, we do have a mission statement as well. It was created around 2013, before Schuyler's time, and before a good majority of you two, our current congregation, were here. Here, again, we read it a little bit earlier, here is the 2013 statement. We are a diverse, welcoming community connecting people to their spiritual center and to one another, inspiring lives of service through reason and love. When Schuyler, with Schuyler's reflections here, when he heard this statement, a few things jumped out at him. We, as a congregation, we want to be diverse and welcoming, and we care about human connection. 
We care about spiritual virtues of the heart and of the mind. And we want to be of service. Maybe that's within to our own congregation or to the larger world. This mission statement was the hard work of many in our community and for their service, we should be very thankful. And yet it's hard to deny that our community is very different now than it was then. By Schuyler's count, only 50 out of our 180 members were here then, not counting all our new friends who have started joining us this year on Zoom. And think back to 2013, Obama was president. The Black Lives Matter movement hadn't begun in the way that it has now, nor had the Me Too movement. Fourth Universalist was half the size then with a different minister, conflict and tension. Mission statements should never be set in stone. They are living documents. They should change over time. They should be a reflection of the people in the community in the present, not of the past. Some experts suggest that mission statements should be revisited every two to three years. To change ours is not to condemn the one from 2013. It is to acknowledge that we are a progressive community, that we progress and change and grow and evolve. We might have learned, for example, that declaring unequivocally that we are a diverse and welcoming community might be premature and presumptuous to a lot of people. For trans and non-binary folks, were we truly welcoming when we didn't have the option to put pronouns on our name tags or hadn't degendered our bathrooms? Or were we truly diverse in the eyes of BIPOC visitors who upon entering our community saw not diversity, but a sea of largely white faces, even if we are more diverse than many UU congregations. We might have learned and grown to understand that a mission statement whose only nod to justice was referring to service through reason and love might not be, a time, might not be enough in a time when forces of hate and violence storm the capital, target minority communities, threaten democracy, and are woven into the very fabric of our society and its institutions. Since 2013, many white folks have learned that racism isn't just the KKK and that injustice isn't over. When we talk about radical work we need to do as a society and that our universalist faith calls us to, it feels like we need language that's a bit more pointed than service to describe what we are doing here. Times change. About 40 of you just completed the congregational history class we offered, uh, and you learned about how different our community has been at so many different times in our history, and even just the fact that we can offer a RE program about church history on Zoom and have 45 people attend. That's such a, a change over where things would have been uh, even a year ago. It is important that our congregation not only have a mission that reflects who we are now, but also ensures that all the people in our community have the opportunity to contribute and to share their perspective. We can imagine a mission statement that really speaks to us, who we are, what our collective purpose is, what we really value. Language makes our values real and brings them to life. If we can't say who we are, then do we know who we are? If we don't change to reflect our growth, have we really grown? 
If we don't change our language, I worry we fall back into cliches or half-truths about being a place where you can believe anything you want or where we welcome everyone, or worse, that we will forget all that we've learned unless we center it, state it, and make our new learning explicit. We are seeing this even on a national level with the conversation about adding an eighth principle. For those of you new to Unitarian Universalism, we have seven principles of our faith, which range from things like the inherent worth and dignity of every person to justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. These seven principles have been with us since the 1980s and have been largely unchanged. But now there's a movement to add another, an eighth principle, a principle that speaks explicitly to our face leaning, leanings and learnings about anti-racism and anti-oppression written by black and brown UUs that suggest that we cannot be fully UUs without a commitment to systemic change. Supporters of the eighth principle believe that unless we encode anti-racism into our principles, we risk marginalizing these vital moral commitments. Adding an eighth principle becomes a way to center our calling for collective liberation and make sure we have no excuse not to remember. Our mission statement is the same. Ask yourself, what is so central to Fourth Universalist and your UU values that we must never forget it? What is it about this place that fills your heart with love and joy and hope? What have we learned that we must keep going back to again and again? What are we doing to change the world and ourselves? Do we as a community have a special gift for the world? Today after service, you will have the chance to share your thoughts about Fourth Universalist to our mission committee. As you do, I hope you think deeply about what our congregation is and can become. Think about the times you have been moved to tears or held your head high because of the pride you have felt at what we've done here together. Mission statements can seem boring and mundane and administrative, but it is nothing less than learning who we are and why any of this matters. Maybe that's more hope and love and joy. Maybe it's about the power of love to save us. Maybe it's about our collective liberation from systemic oppression, or maybe all of it, you will decide. May it and we be worthy of our highest aspirations. Amen. So we had a special service, both in the extent that it was a special service thinking about mission, but also a special service and that we had to do a little improvising at the last second due to our senior minister being out for a very exciting uh, birth of his first child, which is just some really exciting news for us as a community. Uh, and so normally uh, Reverend Schuyler would have been the one delivering the reflection and instead I delivered it. And normally I'd be sitting down with him to talk a little bit about his reflection. Instead, I'm really, really excited to be joined by our Assistant Director of Religious Education, Colin Wolf. Good to have you here, Colin. Thanks, Ember. Good to be here. I will, I will do my best as a stand-in for Reverend Schuyler. 
Yes, we, we all try. <laughs> and so we thought that today, as we, as we thought about what would make sense for this kind of deeper reflection, we thought that we could just kind of talk a little bit about our experiences of fourth and uh, what that means, what, what we think that that could mean for what our mission statement should be. Uh, particularly in my case, uh, we are actually at one year tomorrow from my first interview uh, with, with Forth. So it seems like quite the journey that this last year has been that has brought me to the point that I'm uh, delivering the reflection. <laughs> and so uh, both as a new person and then Colin who's been here longer, we figure that we could just offer our insights into what Forth means to us and maybe what things we think are key to, to Forth's mission. So Colin, would you tell a little bit about like your story of, of how you came to Forth? Sure. So I have a little bit of a Unitarian Universalist background. Back when I lived in Vermont in my elementary school years, we attended a UU congregation, CVUUS, Champlain Valley. Um, and so it was a much smaller congregation than Fourth Universalist and uh, very much, uh, very much kind of uh, it, it emerged from just the nature of small town, you know, everywhere is accessible by foot. You recognize people at the supermarket kind of life. And so this was just sort of a distillation of what already felt like a normal, normal way of habitation there. And we moved uh, to Florida and I, and we no longer attended a UU congregation. And so I'm finding myself back in the UU community having moved to New York City to be an actor to pursue that profession. And I have now developed working relationships with both All Souls, uh, the Unitarian Universalist congregation on the other side of the park from us. And more recently, but a few years ago now, uh, by now, joined the team at Fourth Universalist. So it is both a, a way of reconnecting with a a tradition that in many ways defined my childhood. And also it has added this other element of being a place of work for me as well in, in the big city. <laughs> yes, it is interesting being in the big city, uh, even though I was coming from an equally almost as big city of, of Hanoi uh, on my way here. Uh, but at the same time, you know, New York has this mystique to it. I remember, and I was actually talking about it at a, at a lunch that I recently had with Reverend Skyler, uh, but I was talking, we, were, we were talking about how when I went to tell my wife that I was going to apply this, I'm like, well, they're probably going to say no, but, you know, like, that's a New York church. Like, I'm, I'm a Midwest kid. Like, I can't, I can't, like, they're not, I'm not going to be good enough for New York. And so <laughs> New York does have this mystique. Um, and but I did not grow up in the UU. And so fourth has been my first experience of the UU. More recently, I had been in the UCC, uh, which I like to joke is the UU with just a little bit more Jesus. Uh, and so um, uh, it, it's felt like a really natural fit. Uh, and fourth in particular has just been, you know, my, my, from my first interview, like everything, it, it just clicked in a really special way. Um, if you're, if someone is a believer in fate, it definitely felt like one of those, like this is meant to be sort of moments. And um, I would have 
reasonably good interviews with other places, but then I would get on with fourth and it just felt like the right place. Uh, and so it's really been an honor to like get to grow with this community this year and to do so under the immense pressure of the COVID pandemic, under Zoom church, uh, getting to experience all of this as a new employee, building these co-employee relationships uh, with only Zoom. Uh, I've only been to the building twice. I've only uh, met Skylar in person three times uh, in nine months of work. <laughs> and so it's it's been an adventure and trying to get a feel for the community uh, and, and what the, the community is about. So I was actually really excited uh, back in the winter when we started talking in some meetings about that this was something we were going to be pursuing to, to analyze the mission. Because I was like, hey, that, that's also going to help me in terms of religious education, having an idea of what matters to the community. So I'd be curious your take, Colin, as someone who's been here for, for a few years longer than I, uh, what is your take on what matters, what matters to you at Forth, but what do you think just matters to Forth as a whole? Uh, the thing that consistently comes up to me when I talk to congregants um, is just the, the presence of other people, really, the, the ability to interact freely and safely and openly with people who might not be on the same page, but who at least share an interest in exploring difference and in uh, searching for mutual understanding. So that's something that I think has been uh, a, a really important feature of this congregation since I arrived at it. And certainly for me personally, uh, it's, uh, it's a foothold in New York City. It's, a, it's an, an extension of my community here that is not in the theater world. Uh, I have a wonderful theater community, um, but on Sundays, it's nice to be evaluated, not necessarily on the terms that um, by which the, the theater industry evaluates me. And that's certainly a relief in and of itself. Um, I also find there's increasingly an interest in social justice and political activism in this community. Uh, for me, uh, certainly it, it helps that a, if I'm going to work within a church community, not having a fiercely religious background, it certainly helps that there's political consonance and agreement there in my involvement here. Um, for me, that that particular component is not is not for me my my foothold in this community when I do uh, political action or service work or lend volunteer hours to causes and organizations. I, I tend not to do it instinctively through through church organizations through that lens. Uh, so exploring what that relationship is for other people though has been very instructive to me that for many people that is a source of motivation and a framework that helps them organize their relationship to political action. So that's, uh, that's, that's something that I've noticed is increasingly important in this community, even though that's not, um, not my primary relationship with it, I would say. I mean, so one of the terms that kind of came to mind as you're talking through, especially that first part was that belonging uh, is maybe kind of a, of a key component for a lot of people that, that they are excited for fourth uh, and I know Reverend Schuyler talked a lot about it in his history of fourth class, that it, it's a bit of a transient congregation as such as the, the nature of New York City that lots of people come and go. Uh, and we were talking about it in the service that uh, a lot of the folks that were that are in our congregation now weren't here in 2013 when the uh, mission statement that was last written was being written and how different of a time 2013 was. Uh, and so 
Um, I, I, I think that it seems that for a lot of people, this is a place where they just feel like they belong um, in, in some way. So I wonder if belonging isn't a, a word to add to the word wall uh, that was being discussed in, in coffee hour. I know for me, uh, justice definitely is something that, that does uh, motivate me. And it's something that also really, I like doing a lot of education efforts around. But I mean, you know, I think that what has struck me um, about the congregation is also that that sense of like belonging and community that um, to to have only been in this in this congregation in a digital setting and still feel so welcome and to know that there's so many people who have actually found a home at Fourth uh, during the pandemic during only Zoom church that they haven't even met half of these people in person but they feel so at home uh, it's just that I mean that just speaks I think to to the, the warmth of the community and that, that sense of belonging. Uh, but then I do think that people are then turning it towards uh, action and education and just seeking to, to, to do a little bit better in terms, of, in terms of justice and to answer that call. And yeah, it's, it's, it seems like a, a really special congregation for my first year of impressions since my first interview, um, I, I have been uh, impressed by people's openness and willingness and desire to, to be learning. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see uh, what comes out of this, this mission statement discussion. I'm really looking forward to uh, the, I'm looking forward to the annual meeting. Not often people can say that, <laughs> but I am looking forward to being there uh, and getting to hear the, the final proposal. Um, I'm curious to hear uh, what it ends up being. Any uh, closing thoughts from you, Colin? Well, I wanted to ask you uh, what you think some of the challenges are in democratically centering on a, a succinct mission statement for a group of people that are largely defined by their variety of viewpoints. <laughs> that, that is, that is um, as we talked about in some of our eighth principle discussions, um, classes and uh, things that it was mentioned in the reflection today. Um, the beauty and sometimes the struggle of the UU is its congregationalism. Um, I, I think from my experience, and obviously it's going to differ from church to church, that it seems slightly more functional in the UU. Um, I think of some other denominations that, that I've been in that are congregational, that uh, are from church to church, they've had very different approaches to like COVID and things like that. Whereas, you know, the UUA put out guidance and folks for the most part said, cool, we're gonna just kind of listen along and haven't been in a rush to like disagree just because the congregation wanted to vote. Like it, it seems like a slightly healthier, um, but you know, I think it is uh, a challenge to, you know, I, there, I don't think there's gonna be perfection, um, but I, I was excited to hear that they were planning some meetings with like the LGBT affinity group, the people of color affinity group that they were going to specifically be meeting with these marginalized groups to be um, hearing from them if there was any specific thoughts about uh, about the wording. And it actually has me thinking about, um, uh, what was it? I can't remember the name, but uh, when Bruce Pollock Johnson came and talked about the eighth principle, he talked about this uh, method that, that he had been introducing, uh, that he had taught about in his, in his math classes, but about how, um, about this way of discussing as a group um, where, you know, people can 
have like power to hold it back, but that it's ultimately so that like, um, that we come together and make it deeper. So I think, you know, if we're doing this democratically, like, yes, obviously it's going to come to a vote at some point, but I think what's important is listening to everybody's voice and like really, really deeply listening to that and reflecting on where it might take us and and our visioning of who we are. So I'm, I'm excited to see. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm excited too. I'm, I'm curious to see that process play out. I think that, you know, one of, to me, one of the most compelling things about the Unitarian Universalist tradition is the non-credal element. And I'm constantly, you know, fascinated by, by how uh, you know, something that is identifiably a religious component is maintained while also doing away with something that so many people kind of automatically associate with religious organizations. And so in a way, the, the codification of ideas comes, places an even higher stress on the, on the importance of the language because there isn't, the, uh, there isn't the assumed backing of a divine revelation, for instance. We know this is coming from us. We know that this is a creative process. And so when all that's left is the, the you know, case that the words themselves make, rather than the belief that it comes from an external loftier source, uh, in a way it's even more incumbent on us to make them as precise as possible, but too much precision and it approaches the creedal. So it's this, uh, it's this very, uh, very difficult line to walk. Uh, and, you know, because it is a, a creative and, and uh, religious community there's a, there's a temptation to want to go as far into the inspirational and you know catalytic as possible but there's often a trade-off in clarity when we go in in the more poetic direction and that can sometimes be what uh creates a real barrier in people's ability to connect to a shared fundamental idea through a particular phrasing and so yeah i'm really eager to see people take that process seriously to see the uh the argument and the and the agreement that comes from it, and uh, and the idea of living tradition is a, is to me a compelling one. So I'm curious to see how it plays out. Colin, thank you so much for sitting down with me today for this conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to, to hear from you a little bit about your insights into forth. We're very glad to have you, Ember, and uh, happy that you've been with us now uh, a year since your your first interview. So I am very glad to be here and very honored to get to step into this role. Uh, today, uh, as Reverend Schuyler got to have his momentous moment. Momentous moment. There we go. If we can put that one in the mission statement. We're a place of momentous moments. Yes. <laughs> yes. But thank you to all of our listeners as well. Uh, as we mentioned in the intro, we really do appreciate any likes and comments and all of that. It just lets us know that people are watching, but it also makes sure that our stuff is is more visible uh, and is able to reach a wider audience. So thank you all for watching. Thank you, Colin, for being here. And we will see you again next week.